The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Starring Peter Jones as the book with Simon Jones and Geoffrey McGiven. This is the story of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, perhaps the most remarkable, certainly the most successful book ever to come out of the great publishing corporations of Ursa Minor. More popular than the Celestial Home Care Omnibus, better selling than 53 More Things to Do in Zero Gravity, and more controversial than Ulan Kalufid's trilogy of philosophical blockbusters, Where God Went Wrong, some more of God's greatest mistakes, and who is this God person anyway? And in many of the more relaxed civilizations on the outer eastern rim of the galaxy, the Hitchhiker's Guide has already supplanted the great Encyclopedia Galactica as the standard repository of all knowledge and wisdom, because although it has many omissions, contains much that is apocryphal, or at least wildly inaccurate, it scores over the older, more pedestrian work in two important ways. First, it is slightly cheaper, and second, it has the words Don't Panic inscribed in large, friendly letters on the cover. To tell the story of the book, it's best to tell the story of some of the minds behind it. A human from the planet Earth was one of them, though as our story opens, he no more knows his destiny than a tea leaf knows the history of the East India Company. His name is Arthur Dent. He is a six-foot-tall ape descendant, and someone is trying to drive a bypass through his home. Come off it, Mr Dent. You can't win, you know. Look, there's no point in lying down in the path of progress. I've gone off the idea of progress. It's overrated. But you must realise that you can't lie in front of the bulldozers indefinitely. I'm game. We'll see who rusts first. I'm afraid you're going to have to accept it. This bypass has got to be built, and it is going to be built. Nothing you can say or do... Why has it got to be built? What, what do you mean, why has it got to be built? It is a bypass. You've got to build bypasses. Didn't anyone consider the alternative? There aren't any alternatives. Look, you were quite entitled to make any suggestions or protests at the appropriate time. Appropriate time? Yes. The first I knew about it was when a workman arrived at the door yesterday. Oh. I asked him if he'd come to clean the windows, and he said he'd come to demolish the house. He didn't tell me straight away, of course. Oh, no. First he wiped a couple of windows and charged me a fiver. Then he told me. But, Mr. Dent, the plans have been available in the planning office for the last nine months. Yes. I went round to find them yesterday afternoon. You hadn't exactly gone out of your way to call much attention to them, had you? I mean, like actually telling anybody or anything. The plans were on display. <laughs> and how many average members of the public are in the habit of casually dropping around the local planning office of an evening? <laughs> it's not exactly a noted social venue, is it? And even if you had popped in on the off chance that some raving bureaucrat wanted to knock your house down, the plans weren't immediately obvious to the eye, were they? That depends where you were looking. I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights had probably gone. So had the stairs. Well, you found the notice, didn't you? Yes. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. Ever thought of going into advertising? It's not as if it's a particularly nice house, anyway. I happen rather to like it. Uh, Mr. Dent! Yes, hello. 
Uh, have you any idea how much damage that bulldozer would suffer if I just let it roll straight over you? How much? None at all. By a strange coincidence, none at all is exactly how much suspicion the ape descendant Arthur Dent had that one of his closest friends was not descended from an ape, but was, in fact, from a small planet somewhere in the vicinity of Betelgeuse. Arthur Dent's failure to suspect this reflects the care with which his friend blended himself into human society, after a fairly shaky start. When he first arrived 15 years ago, the minimal research he had done suggested to him that the name Ford Prefect would be nicely inconspicuous. He will enter our story in 35 seconds and say, Hello, Arthur. The ape descendant will greet him in return, but in deference to a million years of evolution, he will not attempt to pick fleas off him. Earthmen are not proud of their ancestors and never invite them round to dinner. Hello, Arthur. Ford, hi, how are you? Fine, look, are you busy? Well, I've just got this bulldozer to lie in front of, otherwise, well, no, not especially. There's a pub down the road. Let's have a drink and we can talk. <laughs> Don't you understand? Mr. Dent, we're waiting! Ford, that man wants to knock my house down. Well, he can do it whilst you're away, can't he? But I don't want him to. Well, just ask him to wait till you get back. Ford! Arthur, will you please just listen to me? I'm not fooling. I've got to tell you the most important thing you've ever heard. I've got to tell you now, and I've got to tell you in that pub there. Why? Because you're going to need a very stiff drink. Now, just trust me. I'll see what I can do. It had better be good. Hello, Mr. Prosser? Oh, yes, Mr. Dent. Have you come to your senses yet? Um, well, can we just assume for a moment that I haven't? Well? And that I'm going to be staying put here till you go away. So? So you're going to be standing around all day doing nothing. Could be. Well, if you're resigned to standing around doing nothing all day, you don't actually need me here all the time, do you? Um, no. Uh, not as such. So if you can just take it as read that I'm actually here, I could just slip off down to the pub for half an hour. How does that sound? Um, uh, that sounds, uh, well, very reasonable, I think, Mr. Dent. I'm sure we don't actually need you there for the whole time. We can just um, hold up our end of the confrontation. And if you want to pop off for a bit later on, I can always cover for you in return. Oh, oh, thank you. Yes, yes, oh, that'll be fine. Yes, very kind of you, Mr. Dent, very kind. And, of course, it goes without saying that you uh, don't try and knock my house over while I'm away. Oh, what? Good Lord! No, Mr. Dent! Do you think we can trust him? Myself, I'd trust him to the end of the earth. Yes, but how far is that? About 12 minutes away. Come on, I need a drink. By drink, Ford Prefect meant alcohol. The Encyclopedia Galactica describes alcohol as a colourless, volatile liquid formed by the fermentation of sugars and also notes its intoxicating effect on certain carbon-based life forms. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy also mentions alcohol. It says that the best drink in existence is the pan-galactic gargle blaster, the effect of which is like having your brain smashed out with a slice of lemon wrapped round a large gold brick. The guide also tells you on which planets the best pan-galactic gargle blasters are mixed, how much you can expect to pay for one, and what voluntary organisations exist to help you rehabilitate. Six pints of bitter, and quickly, please, the world's about to end. Oh, yes, sir. Nice weather for it. Better watch the match this afternoon, sir? No, no point. Foregone conclusion, you reckon, sir? 
Arsenal without a chance. No, it's just that the world's going to end. Oh, yes, sir, you said. Lucky escape for Arsenal if it did. No, not really. There you are, sir. Six points. Keep the change. What, from a fiver? Thank you, sir. You've got ten minutes left to spend it. Ford, would you please tell me what the hell is going on? Drink up, you've got three pints to get through. Three at lunchtime? Time is an illusion. Lunchtime doubly so. Oh, very deep. You should send that into the Reader's Digest. They've got a page for people like you. Drink up? Why three pints? Muscle relaxant. You'll need it. Did I do something wrong today, or has the world always been like this, and I've been too wrapped up in myself to notice? All right, I'll try to explain. How long have we known each other, Arthur? Oh, five years, maybe six. Most of it seemed to make some kind of sense at the time. All right. How would you react if I said that I'm not from Guildford after all, but from a small planet somewhere in the vicinity of Beetlejuice? I don't know. Why, do you think it's the sort of thing you're likely to say? Drink up. The world's about to end. <sighs> this must be Thursday. I never could get the hang of Thursdays. On this particular Thursday, something was moving quietly through the ionosphere miles above the surface of the planet. But few people on the surface of the planet were aware of it. One of the 6,000 million people who hadn't glanced into the ionosphere recently was called Lady Cynthia Fitzmilton. She was, at that moment, standing in front of Arthur Dent's house in Cottington. Many of those listening to her speech would probably have experienced great satisfaction to know that in four minutes' time she would evaporate into a whiff of hydrogen, ozone and carbon monoxide. However, when the moment came, they would hardly notice because they would be too busy evaporating themselves. I have been asked to come here to say a few words to mark the beginning of work on the very splendid and worthwhile new Bevingford Bypass. And I must say immediately what a great honour and a great privilege I think it must be for you, the people of Cottington, to have this gleaming new motorway going through your cruddy little village. I'm sorry, sorry, your little country village of cruddy Cottington. probably just your house being knocked down. What? It hardly makes any difference at this stage. My God, it is! What the hell are they doing? We had an agreement. Let them have their fun. Damn you and your fairy stories. They're smashing up my home. Stop, you battles! You home-breakers! You half-inch-busy-gone! Stop! Arthur, come back! It's pointless. 
hell, I'd better go after him. Barman, quickly, can you just give me four packets of peanuts? Certainly, sir. There you are, 28 packets. Keep the change. Are you serious, sir? I mean, do you really think the world's going to end this afternoon? Yes, in just over one minute and 35 seconds. Well, isn't there anything we can do? No, nothing. I always thought we were meant to lie down or put a paper bag over our head or something. If you like, yes. Well, would that help? No. Excuse me, I've got to find my friend. Oh, well, then. Last orders, please. You pinstripe barbarians, I'll sue the council for every penny it's got. I'll have you hung and drawn and quartered and, and whipped and boiled, and then I'll chop you up into little bits until, until, until you've had enough. Arthur, don't bother. There isn't time. Get over here. There's only ten seconds left. And then I'll do it some more. And when I finish, I'll take all the little bits and I'll, I, I'll jump on them. And I'll carry on jumping on them until I get blisters. Or I can think of something even more unpleasant to do. And then I'll... What the hell's that? Arthur, quick, over here. But what the hell is it? It's a fleet of flying saucers. What do you think it is? Quick, you've got to get hold of this rock. What do you mean, flying saucers? Just that. It's a Vogon constructor fleet. A what? A Vogon constructor fleet. I picked up news of their arrival a few hours ago on my sub-ether radio. Ford, I don't think I can cope with any more of this. I think I'll just go and have a little lie down somewhere. No, just stay here. Keep calm. And just take hold of this... People, People of Earth, your attention, please. This is prosthetic Vogon jokes of the Galactic Hyperspace Planning Council. As you will no doubt be aware, the plans for the development of the outlying regions of the western spiral arm of the galaxy require the building of a hyperspace express route through your star system. And, regrettably, your planet is one of those scheduled for demolition. The process will take slightly less than two of your Earth minutes. Thank you very much. There's no point in acting all surprised about it. All the planning charts and demolition orders have been on display at your local planning department in Alpha Centauri for 50 of your Earth years, so you've had plenty of time to lodge any formal complaints, and it's far too late to start making a fuss about it now. What do you mean you've never been to Alpha Centauri? Oh, for heaven's sake, mankind, it's only four light years away, you know. I'm sorry, but if you can't be bothered to take an interest in local affairs, that's your own lookout. Energize the demolition beams... If you've never been through a matter transference beam before, you've probably lost some salt and protein. The beer you had should have cushioned your system a bit. How are you feeling? Like a military academy. Bits of me keep on passing out. If I asked you where the hell we were, would I regret it? We're safe. Oh, good. We're in a small galley cabin in one of the spaceships of the Vogon Constructor Fleet. Ah, this is obviously some strange usage of the word safe that I wasn't previously aware of. I'll have a look for the light. All right. How did we get here? We hitched a lift. (laughs) 
Excuse me, are you trying to tell me that we just stuck out our thumbs and some bug-eyed monster stuck his head out and said, Hi, fellas, hop right in. I can take you as far as the Basingstoke roundabout. Well, the thumb's an electronic sub-ether device. The roundabout's at Barnard Star, six light-years away. But otherwise, that's more or less right. And the bug-eyed monster? It's green, yes. Fine. When can I go home? You can't. Ah, I found the light. Good grief. Is this really the interior of a flying saucer? It certainly is. What do you think? Well, it's a bit squalid, isn't it? What did you expect? Well, I don't know. Gleaming control panels, flashing lights, computer screens. Not old mattresses. These are the Dentrassi sleeping quarters. I thought you said they were called Vogons or something. The Vogons run the ship. The Dentrassi are the cooks. They let us on board. I'm confused. Here, have a look at this. What is it? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's a sort of electronic book. It'll tell you everything you want to know. That's its job. I like the cover. Don't panic. It's the first helpful or intelligible thing anybody said to me all day. That's why it sells so well. Here, press this button and the screen will give you the index. You've got several million entries, so fast wind through the index to V. There you are, Vogon Constructor Fleets. Enter that code on the tabulator and read what it says. Vogon Constructor Fleets. Here is what to do if you want to get a lift from a Vogon. Forget it. They're one of the most unpleasant races in the galaxy. Not actually evil, but bad-tempered, bureaucratic, officious, and callous. They wouldn't even lift a finger to save their own grandmothers from the ravenous bug-bladder beast of trial. Without orders, signed in triplicate, sent in, sent back, queried, lost, found, subjected to public inquiry, lost again, and finally buried in soft peat for three months and recycled as firelighters. The best way to get a drink out of a Vogon is stick your finger down his throat. And the best way to irritate him is to feed his grandmother to the ravenous bug-bladder beast of trial. What a strange book. How did we get a lift, then? Well, that's the point. It's out of date now. I'm doing the field research for the new revised edition of the guide. So, for instance, I will have to include a revision pointing out that since the Vogons have made so much money being professionally unpleasant, they can now afford to employ Dentrassi cooks which gives us a rather useful little loophole. Who are the Dentrassi? The best cooks and the best drinks mixers, and they don't give a wet slap about anything else. And they will always help hitchhikers on board, partly because they like the company, but mostly because it annoys the Vogons, which is exactly the sort of thing you need to know if you're an impoverished hitchhiker trying to see the marvels of the galaxy for less than 30 Altarian dollars a day. And that's my job. Fun, isn't it? It's amazing. Unfortunately, I got stuck on the earth for rather longer than I intended. I came for a week and was stranded for 15 years. But how did you get there in the first place? Oh, easy. I got a lift with a teaser. You don't know what a teaser is. I'll, I'll tell you. Teasers are usually rich kids with nothing to do. They cruise around looking for planets which haven't made interstellar contact yet and buzz them. Oh, buzz them? Yes, they find some isolated spot with very few people around, then land right by some poor unsuspecting soul, whom no one's ever going to believe, and then strut up and down in front of him, wearing silly antennae on their head and making beep-beep noises. <laughs> Rather childish, really. <laughs> Ford, I don't know if this sounds like a silly question, but what am I doing here? Well, you know that. I rescued you from the Earth. And what has happened to the Earth? It's been... disintegrated. Has it? Yes, it just boiled away into space. Look, I'm a bit upset about that. Yes, I can understand. So, what do I do? 
You come along with me and enjoy yourself. You'll need to have this fish in your ear. I beg your pardon. What the devil's that? Listen, it might be important. What? It's the Vogon captain making an announcement on the PA. But I can't speak Vogon. You don't need to. Just put the fish in your ear. Come on, it's only a little one. Message repeat. This is your captain speaking, so stop whatever you're doing and pay attention. First of all, I see from our instruments that we have a couple of hitchhikers aboard our ship. Hello, wherever you are. I just want to make it totally clear that you are not at all welcome. I worked hard to get where I am today, and I didn't become captain of a Vogon construction ship simply so that I could turn it into a taxi service for degenerate freeloaders. I have sent out a search party. And as soon as they find you, I will put you off the ship. If you're very lucky, I might read you some of my poetry first. Secondly, we are about to jump into hyperspace for the journey to Barnard's Star. On arrival, we will stay in dock for a 72-hour refit, and no one's to leave the ship during that time. I repeat, all planet leave is cancelled. I've just had an unhappy love affair, so I don't see why anyone else should have a good time. Message ends. Charming, these Vogans. I wish I had a daughter so I could forbid her to marry one. You wouldn't need to. They've got as much sex appeal as a road accident. And you'd better be prepared for the jump into hyperspace. It's unpleasantly like being drunk. Well, what's so unpleasant about being drunk? You ask a glass of water. Ford. Yes? What's this fish doing in my ear? Translating for you. Look under Babel fish in the book. What's happening? We're going to hyperspace. Uh, I'll never be called the babelfish is small, yellow, leech-like, and probably the oddest thing in the universe. It feeds on brainwave energy, absorbing all unconscious frequencies and then excreting telepathically a matrix formed from the conscious frequencies and nerve signals picked up from the speech centers of the brain. The practical upshot of which is that if you stick one in your ear, you can instantly understand anything said to you in any form of language. The speech you hear decodes the brainwave matrix. Now, it is such a bizarrely improbable coincidence that anything so mind-bogglingly useful could evolve purely by chance that some thinkers have chosen to see it as a final clinching proof of the non-existence of God. The argument goes something like this. I refuse to prove that I exist, says God, for proof denies faith and without faith I am nothing. But, said man, the Babelfish is a dead giveaway, isn't it? It proves you exist, and so therefore you don't. QED. Oh dear, says God, I hadn't thought of that, and promptly vanishes in a puff of logic. Oh, that was easy, says man, and for an encore he proves that black is white and gets killed on the next zebra crossing. Most leading theologians claim that this argument is a load of dingo's kidneys, but that didn't stop Ulan Kalufid making a small fortune when he used it as the central theme of his best-selling book, well, that about wraps it up for God. Meanwhile, the poor Babelfish, by effectively removing all barriers to communication between different cultures and races, has caused more and bloodier wars than anything else in the history of creation. What an extraordinary book. Help me write the new edition. No, I want to go back to Earth again, I'm afraid. Or its nearest equivalent. You're turning down a hundred billion new worlds to explore. Did you get much useful material on Earth? I was able to extend the entry, yes. Now, let's see what it says in this edition, then. Okay. Let's see. E. Earth. Tap out the code. There's the page. 
It doesn't seem to have an entry. Yes, it does. See, right there at the bottom of the screen, just under Eccentrica Golumbits, the triple-breasted whore of Eroticon 6. What, there? Oh, yes. Harmless. Harmless? Is that all it's got to say? One word? Harmless? What the hell's that supposed to mean? Well, there are a hundred billion stars in the galaxy and a limited amount of space in the book. And no one knew much about the Earth, of course. Well, I hope you've managed to rectify that a little. Yes, I transmitted a new entry off to the editor. He had to trim it a bit, but it's still an improvement. What does it say now? Mostly harmless. Mostly harmless? Well, that's the way it is. We're on a different scale now. <sighs> OK, Ford, I'm with you. I'm bloody well coming with you. Where are we now? Not far from Barnard's Star. It's a beautiful place and a sort of hyperspace junction. You can get virtually anywhere from there. That is, assuming that we actually get there. What's that? Well, if we're lucky, it's just the Vogons come to throw us into space. And if we're unlucky? If we're unlucky, the captain might want to read us some of his poetry first. Vogon poetry is, of course, the third worst in the universe. The second worst is that of the Asgoths of Crea. During a recitation by their poet master Granthus the Flatulent of his poem, Ode to a Small Lump of Green Putty I Found in My Armpit One Midsummer Morning, four of his audience died of internal hemorrhaging, and the president of the Mid-Galactic Art Snobbling Council survived by gnawing one of his own legs off. Granthos is reported to have been disappointed by the poem's reception and was about to embark on a reading of his 12-book epic entitled My Favourite Bathtime Gurgles when his own major intestine, in a desperate attempt to save humanity, leapt straight up through his neck and throttled his brain. The very worst poetry of all perished along with its creator, Paul Neil Milne Johnston of Redbridge, in the destruction of the planet Earth. Vogon poetry is mild by comparison. And when the Vogon captain began to read, it provoked this reaction from Ford Prefect. <coughs> and this from Arthur Dent. <coughs> oh, Fred Grunt Buckley, my micturations are to me as blurred rabbit bottles in a learning bee. Group, I implore thee, my footing, turning drones, and hoopsiously drag me for otherwise I will rent thee the god awards with my blood crunch and see if I don't. So, earthlings, I present you with a simple choice. I was going to show you straight out of the empty blackness of space to die horribly and slowly, but there is one way, one simple way in which you may save yourselves. Now think very carefully. Very lines in your hands. Now choose. Either die in the vacuum of space or... Tell me how good you thought my poem was. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honour and artistic judgement? Tune in next week for the next exciting instalment of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. 
In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Peter Jones starred as the book, Simon Jones was Arthur Dent and Geoffrey McGiven, Ford Prefect. Bill Wallace was Prosser and the Fogon Captain, with Joe Kendall as Lady Cynthia Fitzmelton and David Goodison as the barman. The programme was written by Douglas Adams and produced by Simon Brett with the assistance of Paddy Kingsland at the Radiophonic Workshop and a small furry creature from the Crab Nebula. Oh, I quite liked it, really. The imagery was really particularly effective.